All right, glad you're here today. Uh, we're going to talk about the book of Galatians, chapter 3. So if you have a Bible or a Bible or whatever you have. In uh, Galatians chapter 3, Paul's going to talk about kind of setting up a distinction between faith and the faithfulness of Christ and faith in Christ versus what he calls works or works of the law. And I think when Paul uses the term works, he's, I think he always is referring to works of the law, meaning uh, works of the Jewish law, circumcision, food laws, Sabbath keeping. And <clears throat> he's going to say that since, the faithful, since Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, that has made those works of the law uh, unnecessary. And he's dealing some with then how, what's the purpose of those works of the law. So to get us into that, I just want to kind of do a little class poll on uh, what comes to your mind. I should make that a capital. I just want to gather some thoughts on what you have heard taught, what you believe now. We're going to do a whole range of just thoughts from the class on what we think of as Christians when we hear the word Old Testament. So Paul's going to get into some of this. I'm just curious about, so think about, not what it is, but its application or lack of application to your life, what God is like in the Old Testament, all these things. So uh, let's share some things together. What, what do you think about when you think about the Old Testament? Yeah? Foundation of Christianity. Okay. Something positive. <laughs> okay. Yeah. For our edification, but it was a law for the Hebrews. It's not. We're not under that law. Okay. It almost seems like a different. Okay, I've heard this before. Yeah. How's God different? Um, seemingly violent, capricious, um, not very forgiving. Okay. More, more violence. Uh, I guess we're basing that on God commanding people to kill others, uh, the ground swallowing up people, sometimes opening up and swallowing people. As a, yeah, those Nadab and Abihu getting struck with fire. I always say it's before God had kids. Okay, what do you mean by what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, the old, I mean literally the Old Testament. If I were, if someone were to ask me what the difference between the Old and New Testament is, the Old Testament has no remedy for sin. But if there's a sacrificial system, it doesn't work. It doesn't get rid of sin. Where does it say that? <laughs> <laughs> what, did 
do have glimpses of the remedy for sin. Right. And that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So there are numerous instances of God revealing his grace, but the complete complete revealing comes with Jesus Christ. Okay. That's one of the stories that gets to me the most because what he, the way that story starts out is God was so disgusted with all of creation he decided to wipe them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just harder for me to... Yeah, he could have wiped everybody out, but he saves Noah and Noah's family and some and some animals. And he could have wiped Adam and Eve out. Yeah. But he chose not to again gracefully. And right after the flood, Noah gets out of the ark, plants a vineyard, drinks from it, gets drunk, lays naked in his tent. So we got sin coming right back uh, after it's been cleansed. Yeah. Context and character. Okay, so unpack that. What do you mean? Okay, well, I, most of the New Testament loses its power. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you don't have the Old Testament to set it up. I mean, you, you start reading in Matthew, it's like coming into the show in the third season. Yeah. You don't know what, where, where the story's going, yeah. what, what any of the characters are all about, why you've got this guy that suddenly shows up and dies. Um, mm-hmm. you, you've got to you've got to kind of set the stage for the ne- you know, the, yeah. the, the big thing that's going to yeah. happen. Yeah, that's true. There's definitely not a lot of names used and things that you're well, but just that even, you don't even, even know. The names, just in terms of the yeah. story arc, mm-hmm. you, you've got you've got to as if, if you're looking if you're looking at the Bible as a story, mm-hmm. you've got to get to the point. Where you need a Jesus, yeah, to make having a Jesus worth anything. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think we're going to get into that some today. Of why do why do we need Jesus? According to Paul in Galatians, yes. Uh, the laws about fellowship and eating together, uh, and uh, against fellowship with neighboring countries. Mm-hmm. So uh, something about purity of God's family or something like that? Is that, is that what you're thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. What I think about is how thankful I am that we're not under the old law. Why, why are you thankful for that? I mean, what? All the sacrifices and all the things they had to do and they never could keep it and uh, just just very difficult. No. They couldn't keep it. What what could they not let's think about that. What could they not keep? I mean they were, were they expected to keep it perfectly? Are we assuming that or Paul says and in some places uh, I was like I think he says this in Philippians, I was blameless. There's some other people in the New Testament that are said that says they were blameless according to the law. So that makes me think that maybe the requirement was not that you did it all perfectly, and if you made mistakes, there 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 is a sacrificial system, things that you did. Um, it's interesting to think about: Would the Jews have felt like? we're not doing this right. Um, I think Paul does say 
that the law brings a curse, the curse of the law. And so we're going to have to talk about, figure out what is the curse of the law. That's, that's a tough question. But you had to keep doing it. That's the curse of the law. The curse of the law is you had to keep making the sacrifices. There wasn't just one final one. Yeah? It's a, it's a very realistic story in that even the greatest leaders have character flaws that are not glossed over. It's one of the rare histories of a country that has warts and all in it, right? Yeah. 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 One of the things that I look at, it, it seems like it's the source of all soap operas and drama. <laughs> <laughs> and God uses um, flawed people. And sometimes it seems like he chooses flawed people to work through, people you wouldn't expect. <laughs> That's right. He's waiting for the perfect person to work through, and it's just, he'd be waiting forever. Yes? Several years ago, our youngest son said, we were watching Seinfeld, but it was still on the running. And he said, I know, I, and he was a little bitty, he said, I know what this show's about. I said, what? He said, it's about messing up. I said, what do you mean? He said, every time things are going real well, and then they mess up. And that's kind of the old mm -hmm. Yeah. And Seinfeld's Jewish, so it kind of, kind of works. <laughs> you said it was before um, God had children. I've heard people say it's before God became a Christian. For the <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Can, can I give one that I don't agree with? Yes. Uh, there are people who believe that sort of the Old Testament was God's first attempt it didn't work out so well so then he had to uh, ask for a mulligan and redo it yeah. in Jesus and, uh, yeah. I guess I following on someone that I've read in some respects we as Christians do ourselves a disservice by drawing a separation between Old Testament and New Testament rather than talking about one biblical story mm -hmm. yeah. that starts in Genesis 1 and goes all the way through. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess in some ways I don't like to see a division. Yeah. And there's, there's several ways that that is articulated as it being God's first attempt that went wrong. Sometimes it's articulated as he called Israel, he wanted to work, set up this political kingdom, uh, they were, it's all going to go fine and dandy, but Israel didn't keep the law perfectly, and so they were taken into exile. And so then God said, well, I'm, now I'm going to work through a church instead of through a nation. Um, and then sometimes it's, um, well, there's a second way I thought of that sometimes that's articulated, but I, it lost me. But yeah, um, there's... God wanted to do things a certain way. Israel didn't cooperate. Uh, I think, yeah, I think the second way is how the Lutheran sense that God gave them the law to show them you can't keep this perfectly. You cannot be saved by works. You, there's no way you can be perfect. So the purpose of the law was to show how impossible it was to keep so that then we could, by contrast, see that grace has come in in the New Testament. And so it's a, a big law versus grace dichotomy. Yeah? Yeah. 
in the Old Testament, you know, there's a, a template for purpose how the Jewish people demonize the reliance they have to pay that they worship gods. And so that seems to be a blueprint uh, for capitalistic imperialism of the day uh, when uh, a powerful country wants to take mm-hmm. another country for resources, they demonize them. Yeah. Yeah. And go ahead and kill people. The same thing happened with Muslims in the European states. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, call them people. Yeah. I, I've always said the first step of uh, identifying the demonization. That's right. That's, yeah. that's what you see in the, in the Old Testament. Yeah. So did man create God for his own selfish purpose? Did God create man? That's what I have to question. Yeah, that's a tough. That's a tough question when you start thinking about is the Old Testament revealing God's way of working or is it reflecting the people's view of how God wanted them to work? Yeah, that's that's a deep question. We're not going to have time to solve that one today. <laughs> We're going to get to Galatians pretty soon. Yes. Yeah, somewhere. Looking at that from a totally different perspective, saying, you know, the, the, the Israels were, the Israelites were inhospitable versus these neighbors kept attacking them. Yeah. And God said, look, they're totally inhospitable, you know. Yeah. It's a totally, it's a totally different perspective. Yeah. And saying, okay, the word of God says, you know, God said do this because of that. We're saying, we're saying here, the people of Israel just wanted more land. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, what? When Micah went to Canaan in Deuteronomy, God said, "I gave them that space. You leave yeah. them alone. I gave them that space. You leave them alone. These guys, them you take out. I mean, it's it's, it's yeah. really specific." And that's one of that's one of the toughest issues I think in Old Testament theology is that whole Canaan conquest of Canaan issue. We're not going to solve that one. Um, (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) We're not going to solve anything. Um, One of my points, though, is that Paul tends to walk a fine line. It seems a fine line between. What has been revealed through faith in Christ and the faithfulness of Christ. But he's careful, and in Galatians, he's, he's wanting Christians, especially Gentile Christians, to know that you do not have to keep the law that people are trying to force you to keep. Uh, that's no longer what it means to be part of God's people. But on the other hand, he wants to say that the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, is valuable it's part of God's promises they've been fulfilled and so it is a I think as Christians we're in a spot where we can say that there are some like the way it used to be taught in the church I grew up in was the the Old Testament was nailed to the cross meaning yeah it's it's in the Bible but you know you don't really want to use it to apply to your life and that type of thing Paul says some very positive things about the law and of course, when he's writing, that is the scriptures that they had. So, okay, let's get into Galatians 3. 
maybe we can make some headway <laughs> to putting something on the table that's that some questions we can answer. Okay, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now that verb for uh, clearly portrayed is a strong verb. Um, a lot, a lot of contexts it means it's used in the sense of a picture or a painting or some sort of drama production. Um, this is outside of the New Testament, the way that word is used. I don't know if that means that Paul used PowerPoint or some sort of visual, but, but it's, it's almost like um, he's, he's talking about when I preached the word to you, I clearly portrayed, I illustrated, showed, maybe through, maybe he means through his own suffering love for them, he portrayed Christ as crucified. That the way that God has revealed himself now through Christ is through the, the death and resurrection of Christ. Is your problem with the word clearly or portrayed? Well, it's, it's one word that the NIV translates clearly portrayed. Does anybody have a different word there? Publicly, <laughs> Publicly portrayed. As clear, as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. As clear as you have seen it. So translators are trying to get at this verb that has some, it's a strong, strong verb. Uh, either, either Paul illustrated it before them in how he lived or the way he preached about the crucifixion had some sort of strong. His point is, um, the crucifixion is part of the preaching, part of the story. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by, and technically this, the, verb here, or the word here is flesh, by the flesh. NIV says human effort, but let's just keep it flesh. I think it, that Spirit-flesh contrast is important. Are you now trying to finish with the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by observing the law or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he's quoting from Genesis 15 where God promised Abraham that through Abraham's descendants, God would bless the whole world. At the time, Abraham didn't have any children, and he was getting old. And Abraham believed in that promise, and God counted that as righteousness. Understanding then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So Abraham had faith in the promise, setting up that this is how God works in the world through people who have faith. Scripture foresaw, I think that's an interesting phrase, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. 
On the contrary, it says whoever does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So, there's a, there's a lot here, uh, but he says that all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. So, whatever positive things we want to say about the Old Testament, um, the Jewish people were, I think Paul's assuming, realizing that we have, we have lived under a curse. Now, the curse, I think he's referring to, in the book of Deuteronomy, there's blessings and cursings at the end of Deuteronomy. That says, the blessings are if you worship God, follow God, um, you will be blessed, you will stay in the land, your children will live in the land, all these good things will happen. But if you worship other gods, then you will be punished. That's what curse means, punished. And you'll be taken out of the land, and you'll live in exile. And so um, we know what happens, and it seems like Moses kind of knew what was going to happen too, um, that eventually uh, the Israelites would be taken into exile. Now they do return uh, to Israel, after being in exile in Babylon for about 70 years. Uh, but there's a sense which they, the return is never what it should have been. So they do rebuild the temple, but it's not as, not as nice. They're not an independent nation. They have other people always controlling what they do. And so the assumption is they're, they're still living under the curse. And um, what Paul, this is coming some from Romans as well, but what Paul, I think, believes is that the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus as a Jewish Messiah, took on that curse by uh, suffering the punishment of the curse of exile. Uh, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So we have the promise made to Abraham, that it would be for all nations, Abraham believed. Um, we eventually get Israel. Then we have Israel's representative being the Messiah. There's some prophecies about that in the Old Testament. And that Messiah is Jesus. And then the Messiah takes on the sins of Israel as Israel's representative. And because of his taking on the punishment that was due on the nation, this is, if you read Isaiah chapter 53, uh, there it talks about the suffering servant who by his stripes we are healed. So you kind of have built into the Old Testament story the idea that there will be one person who takes on the curse that belonged to the whole nation. And once that curse is taken on by this person, then the gospel goes or the message goes to all the world. So it gets, it's like the sins of the world get all focused narrower and narrower down. 
And I think this is what Paul is going to say in the rest of chapter 3, that the purpose of the law was to focus the sins. Um, I think of it as like sweeping them all up into one spot so that God can take care of it. Uh, and that's what Jesus does on the cross. Now, this is, a, this is a big picture view of the cross. It's bigger than just God taking care of my personal sins. And it is incorporating things from the whole story of the Bible, from the Old Testament and the New Testament together. Anything else you see in there you want to question about? I keep reading. Yeah. good yeah very good no that's that's really good okay let's keep yeah mm -hmm. one quick question yeah and i was reading and listening to you at the same time so i'm not sure i understood you correctly but i thought i heard you say just a moment ago the jews now realize that they are under a curse yeah okay so you you think at this point in time while paul is preaching that jews realized they were cursed in the sense that they're, the promises made to the nation of Israel are still in the future for us. Now, for Paul, those promises are fulfilled through the Messiah. But for non-Christian Jews, they're still looking for something else to happen. So, in a sense, in a sense, they're still they're still in exile in the sense that they, although they're living in the land. They're under subjugation of the Romans. Right. And you think about the cross of Jesus being really, a, I mean, that's Roman domination. A cross meant we're in control, you better do what we say. And every time they walked out their door, I mean, it was common to see somebody hanging on a cross. And so the cross was just a sign of the curse. It's a sign that we are not, we are not in charge here. We are under foreign domination and we have to do whatever the Romans say or they will hang us. 
So I think it, that whole picture comes together that way. Yeah, I think Paul's Paul's going to say that now that now that Christianity, now that Christ the Messiah has come, the Jewish Messiah has come, why are you trying to go back and keep these laws? The the fulfillment of them has come, so they're obsolete. Yeah. Uh, we had a garage sale yesterday in which we sold a typewriter uh, for. I think we got it fifteen dollars. It was a nice typewriter, fifteen dollars for it. <laughs> The person who bought it, I think, wanted to use it as a display or just some kind of some sort of <laughs> staging thing. But why? I, I could not sell my VHS tapes or my VHS player. Nobody made an offer on those. I give you five bucks. <laughs> oh yes, I will. I got Still all I, the Disney's on VHS, but no VHS. I have it in my garage. All right. I'll all right. <laughs> so much for your analogy. <laughs> You were like a Jew trying to keep the law still. You know. um, but, yeah, there are things that are obsolete. And Paul's like, why are you going? When you, when you heard the gospel, when the Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, you received the Spirit that way. Why are you now going back to the, the VHS or the typewriter? Why, you began with the Spirit. You don't want to go back to that old technology, so to speak. Yeah. George, we talk about Jesus taking on the curse of Israel. Didn't Jesus kind of in his life try to kind of like street theater is not the right word, but his life was like a, a mirror of the story of Israel. Like a lot of the things he did, he was basically setting himself up to look like what what Israel had done. Am I, am I wrong? Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what you mean by that, but... Um, <laughs> He gathered around himself the outcasts. So there's part of that fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies on that. Um, you know, the sign is king of the Jews on top of, on top of the cross. So um, if, if that's, I don't know exactly what you have in mind. but I'll, I'll look it up. I'm yeah. pretty sure I read someone that kind of mapped out the yeah. events that happened in his life before the cross where he was kind of like setting himself up as I'm... Well, you know, he goes to Egypt for a while and comes out of Egypt, yeah. and out of Egypt I would call my son. A lot of things like that, yeah. There's totally, that is exactly right. He gets 12 apostles. Yeah. There's 12, 12 tribes. Most dramatically, he says, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And yeah. He's talking about his body. Yeah. So there really is a way that he was sort of saying, yeah. I'm the, he's real man. I'm yeah. the guy that's here. I'm the representative. I'm the representative. Yeah. Yes. That's good. Yeah. Steve, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, yeah, it wasn't just their frustration with the Romans. I mean, the Essenes had withdrawn because they saw the corruption in the temple uh, with the high priest. And there was just a lot of 
and the Pharisees. They were they were trying to continue to force people to live into yeah. what God required because they saw the results of what had happened in the past. And so there was that just a, a large frustration. Yeah. They had a sense that we need something. Yeah. We need something. I think we have set up the end of Galatians 3 beautifully. So we're going to read this. It's all going to make sense now. All right. So, brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is the Messiah. Now, Paul knows that the word seed is a collective noun. He's not trying to, he's kind of out rabbying the rabbis. The rabbis make a big deal about words and very parse very specifically what, what's going on. Now, I don't think Paul's trying to say, hey, it's pretty clear that the promise is to Abraham's seed, meaning his descendants, plural. But technically, the word is singular. So Paul's saying, look, that, that promise is coming to fulfillment through our representative, the Messiah, who I believe is Jesus. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So the promise was made to Abraham. That promise comes well before the Mosaic law. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. I wish Paul was more, I wish he unpacked that a little bit. Uh, it doesn't really, oh, what the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions. Okay, well, that makes sense. That doesn't really make sense. Uh, but th- I think the idea is God wanted to, like I said, sweep all the transgressions up in one place. So the law was given, believe it or not, to focus and bring God's people to the Messiah. The Messiah who takes on the curse of the law. Now, it seems amazing uh, to say that the whole point of the law was to get to Jesus. But I think that's what Paul's saying. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and this is what we get in Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, uh, the law showed me what covetousness really was. So the law is given to make it clear um, what a good life is, is like and what, what's wrong. Think about the Ten Commandments. Yeah. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. I think that's, that's kind of a side comment to say the promise comes from God to Abraham, just one party. When God gives the law to Moses, there's Jewish tradition that that was done through mediators, through angel, or through Moses. So he's, what he's saying is the promise to Abraham trumps the law. It's better than the law. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through the faith of Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. 
Now, I know a lot of translations say faith in Jesus Christ, but I like the faithfulness of Jesus Christ because then he doesn't say the same thing twice. So he says, might be given to those who believe. So I think through, if we see Christ as the representative of Israel who is faithful to the law, faithful to what God wanted to do, then through the faithfulness of Christ, now all those who believe through faith uh, get what the promise of God was. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. That's, that's a term that's um, used for the, the slave that would lead the children to school, the paedagogos. And um, that slave would also teach the children on the way and on the way home from school. What would you learn in school today? And keep those lessons going. And so uh, Paul is comparing the law to um, the way the NIV says uh, someone who holds something in custody, something like that. Your, your translations will have something else. So the law was put in charge of us until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So we're no longer under the, what's your translation say for that supervision? Guardian. The guardian. Disciplinarian. Disciplinarian. Tutor. So the idea is the law was in place for a time, but it was meant to be temporary. And when the children for whom the law was intended come to maturity, you don't need that, that tutor anymore. Verse 26, so in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. I think that means Jew and Gentile, everybody. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So all this to say that... The importance of faith is that all the way back to Abraham, the story of Abraham shows that what God is really looking for is faith, not uh, a set of keeping the laws. Uh, the law, the Old Testament law, was not intended to be for righteousness, it was intended to lead us to the seed, Christ. And to show that through the faithfulness of Christ as a model. So we got the faith of Abraham, the faith of Christ. And so our faith in that. So faith is the, what's this, how's the song go? Faith is the victory. Faith is the reason. Faith is whatever. So the whole system is a faith system, not a works of law system. All right. That's a lot of deep theology there. Um, so um, we have one more week on Galatians. Uh, I'm going to be gone next week. So Randall gets to finish up everything in Galatians. So good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> but we don't have to cover it all. We, are, we have other times that we can get together. Uh, I'm going to the beach. One of them, Topsail. Topsail Beach. I was hoping to get my VHS <laughs> we'll have to make other arrangements. Okay, in the Pauline Corpus, 
Thank you. It's yeah. been a good series. It has absolutely. In in the Pauline corpus, that last Galatians three twenty. Yes. How important is that in yes. the whole Pauline 